Hello everyone. Do you like reading? Do you like walking? Do you like thinking about your life? Then we have got something for you. Our Common Ground Pilgrimages are going to be announcing our slate of fall and winter 2020 pilgrimages on March 2nd. So if you sign up for our newsletter at readingandwalkingwith.com, you will be the first to know when registration launches and only people on our newsletter will get 30 minutes early registration access and it's first come first serve. So signing up first might mean the difference between getting a spot or not. There's less than 20 spots on each pilgrimage and one of them might be involving me and a book that we all love. So you're talking about you leading a pilgrimage with he's just not that into you? A hundred percent, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I'm there. So that's readingandwalkingwith.com. Sign up to the newsletter. Be the first to know about our pilgrimages this year. Welcome to this week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. This episode was recorded live in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. And so, as ever with a live show, you'll hear some background noise, some laughing at visual jokes, and you'll hear some editing here and there. We had a great time in Washington, D.C., and we are so grateful that we get to meet so many of you as we travel. However, as we all know, it creates a huge carbon footprint in order for us to be able to travel and meet so many of you. So to that end, we have partnered with One Tree Planted and are donating one tree for every hour that any Not Sorry Productions employee spends in the air in order to travel for meetings and live shows. And we can only do this because of your incredible support on Patreon. So on this Thanksgiving, we want to say how grateful we are to you. We're grateful to you for giving us a reason to get on planes, and we are grateful to you for helping us try to be carbon neutral as we do. So thank you again, happy Thanksgiving, and enjoy us live from Washington, D.C. Chapter 17, A Sluggish Memory. Late in the afternoon, a few days after New Year, Harry, Ron, and Ginny lined up beside the kitchen fire to return to Hogwarts. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, The Live Show! Hello, Washington, D.C. Okay. I don't care what the rest of the country says. Wow, thank you all so much for coming. What a delight to see you all here. Um, This is an absolute treat. And you are going to be extra treated tonight because usually you only get to hear our voices. But tonight you also get to hear the voice of Ariana Nicole Nettleman. Um, We're also very glad to be joined by our former classmate, Yusra Ghazi, later on. Welcome, Yusra. And um, we also now, over the last year, it's been amazing. We've had all of these local groups forming, over 50 of them now around the world. And there is a DC chapter. Do we have some of the DC chapter people here? Yes. And the DC chapter is very creatively called the DC Discussion Group. And so if you are ready for that level of fun, (laughs) then you should reach out. Emil and Ren are here and really excited to talk to you about renaming the group. (laughs) They need fresh blood. Um, Something we should mention is that we are recording tonight's show which we don't do very often for live shows. So if you guys could laugh especially loudly, make everyone feel like they're missing out. Should we practice what a really hearty laugh sounds like? Okay, on the count of three. Really hearty, everyone who's listening at home is jealous, laugh. One, two, three. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Oh my God. That's legit. What they say about DC people is true. That was was some good fake nonsense. (laughs) 
totally bought it, guys. I bought it. Well, so for those of you who don't know the show, we always like to start with a story to dig into our theme. And our theme this evening is attention. And Vanessa, you have prepared a little story for us. I have. I'm going to tell you a story about my dog, Rory. Um, I know that is the right response. Um, I got her during divinity school, and I think because of that, I was in this, like, very, like, spiritual headspace. And so I would tell, like, everyone who would listen that she embodied my theology of suffering. I was like, there's just no reason for her to ever suffer if it is not directly beneficial for her, right? Like, we can take her to the vet because that will help her live a longer, healthier life, but, like, no unnecessary suffering. And I really gave this a lot of thought. Um, So the story starts really when she was a puppy. So we lived in the dorms for the first six years of my dog's life. And because of that, there were just like dog sitters available all the time. 18-year-olds want to watch your dog when you travel. They like love it. But recently, Rory and I moved in with my partner. And so we moved out to the suburbs. And there are not as many like free dog sitters around in the suburbs. And so we moved and then immediately, like a week later, I was going to Germany with my partner and kids and I panicked because I was like, who is going to watch the dog while I'm gone? I don't have all of these children around to watch her. And so my friend Stephanie said, don't worry about it. I will stay with her, but I work really long hours. So can you just get a dog walker every day while I'm watching her? And I said, yes, thank you so much. I was like, okay, I'm going to interview dog walkers. This is what grown-ups in the suburbs who don't live in the dorms until they're 37 do. And I interviewed dog walkers, and I met this lovely young woman, and I trained her on all the needs that my dog has and how to get in and out of the house. And, and then I fly to Germany, and there's just, like, no cell service except in the third-floor bathroom of my partner's dead mother's house. There's no cell service <laughs> in this part of Germany. It's good that I know where to get it, (laughs) but other than that, there isn't. And so um, the kids, Peter, a friend, and I are like in the car out doing Germany things, and I get a text from the dog walker, and I was like, oh, I, I sort of have service, and it says, the key isn't working, I can't get into the house. And I was like, oh, no, like, Stephanie's going to be gone for 14 hours. So I send a text back saying, you know, there's only the one key and, like, trying to coach her through it. And she writes back, like, I can't get in. And each one of these texts is taking, like, 400 years, right, to go through. I'm, like, sitting there watching, and it's, like, green, not blue. So I'm like, does that mean it's sent? Like, I don't know. And so I text Stephanie, and I'm like, worst case scenario, if the dog walker can't figure out how to get in, can you go work from home? And Stephanie and I are talking, and I'm going back and forth with the dog walker and Stephanie and trying to figure this out. And finally, I just text Stephanie, being like, Stephanie, I'm sorry, this person is an idiot. Can you please just go home and get the dog? And then, like, two seconds back, I get a response saying, I don't appreciate being called an idiot. Yeah. So I gasp, and everyone in the car turns to me and is like, what? And I tell them what happened, and I'm like frantically apologizing, being like, that's fair. I'm sorry. You just have to understand I'm frustrated, but I'm so sorry. My 11-year-old stepdaughter turns to me and goes, are you afraid she's going to hurt Rory now? (laughs) Peter turns around and is like, she does have the key. (laughs) And I'm like, thanks. Anyway, I will say that Stephanie then used the key to get in. So I'm not saying that this person is an idiot. I'm just saying that the key did work. But but really what it made me think about was I have like all of this big capital A attention that I pay to my dog, right? Like she is my meditation on suffering and love and goodness. And if I don't pay attention to who I'm texting, if I don't pay attention to the little thing right in front of me, it doesn't matter if I'm paying, like, big attention. It doesn't matter if I am, like, thinking about love, if I'm not loving to people on the subway, right? 
And I think that we see a lot of versions of this in this chapter, right? Where Ron and Hermione, they love each other, right? They are paying big A attention to each other, but they are not caring for each other in little ways. And I think we do this all the time. And so I am excited to talk to you about that tonight, Casper. Before we do that, though, it is time for the 30-second recap. Those of you who have been listening since the very beginning know that the 30-second recap used to be a pretty competitive sport. We even had a place you could go to on our website where you could vote. There were some high stakes, like a cake. Just keep bringing that up. I, uh-huh. <laughs> it will one day be made. And recently, though, we, we've gone towards a more collaborative, loving each other kind yeah. of model that really embodies our values. Not tonight. <laughs> So in this corner, we have Casper Turkile, all the way from New York City, Slytherin. In this corner, we have Vanessa Zoltan from Boston, Massachusetts, Hufflepuff. No, update. What? As you can probably tell by my earrings and my shoes. What? I have recently converted to a Gryffindor. I have decided... There are shock and despair in this corner. I love... I love Hufflepuff. I, I just think that what I need is to be braver in my own life. And since housing is aspirational... We go to the house where we need to grow. What I need to grow in is my bravery. So I am representing the house of Gryffindor tonight. I just, I just want to say for those at home that there is a very young boy in a yellow shirt who looks so disappointed. <laughs> and can I just say, even though I'm wearing green on the outside because I'm representing Slytherin, I may or may not have some item of yellow clothing that I'm not going to show you. So... <laughs> All the Hufflepuffs, I'll take the lot. Come, come join me. I love you, Hufflepuffs. I, I need to be braver. Support me. Okay, sorry. All right, Vanessa, are you ready? I'm sorry, I'm ready. Casper, can you count her in? Vanessa, you ready? Yeah. You did the reading. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll find out. <laughs> All right, 30 seconds on the clock. Okay. Three, two, one. So everybody comes back from Christmas holidays and Hermione is like, I have to talk to you. And Ron's like, hey, what's up? And she's like, no. And then, um, by the way, McGonagall forgets to give them the password, which I think is really awkward. Um, And then um, Harry has his lesson with Dumbledore. He also tries to convince Hermione that Draco and Snape are in on it and Voldemort has set them up and he's a Death Eater. And then he goes to the class with Dumbledore and Dumbledore shows shows him a memory, including that Tom Riddle killed his dad. And also also Slughorn's uh, memory is a little bit messed up and it's a sluggish memory. Wow. It's a long chapter. It's a long it's chapter. A good one. It's a good one. Okay, Casper, are you ready? Yes. I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. On your mark, get set, go. Okay, so the Hogwarts train has been abandoned because instead we're going to apparate into Hogwarts and ma- magically you land in McGonagall's um, fireplace. And then there's a new sex ed teacher, the fat lady who <laughs> has a new password, which is abstinence. That's faulty. Um, then um, we go into the Charms classroom and uh, Flitwick is blown away by some like jets of water from Seamus, um, which is funny at the moment, but not so much now. Then we go into two memories, um, uh, Morphin's memory and Slughorn's memory, and there's this like gooeyness cloud of forgetting. Yes. <laughs> Fair play, Turkile. You know what makes it work what? is that we do it together. <laughs> No. <laughs> okay. Casper. Yeah. Casper, where did you see attention in this week's chapter? Yes. So uh, a lot happens in this chapter, as you may have gathered from our 30-second recaps. The place that I was thinking about attention was we go back into memories. We see a young Tom Riddle in this chapter, and we see him meeting his uncle, Morfin, and we learn that he really wants this ring that is a kind of, you know, an ancient Slytherin item. It's this token of great symbolic power. And I was thinking about how Riddle pays so much attention to symbols. 
uh, of course, in how he makes the Horcruxes, each of them have this important meaning, and how, in, especially in this chapter, so much of the, the, the kind of attention on symbols is about representing his family. And yet, it's also the chapter in which he kills three members of his family, his father and his grandparents, and in which he essentially forces his uncle into Azkaban. So it's just, I mean, even kind of like your story, right? What do we pay attention to shapes how we are with people. And th th there was something in that kind of a symbol of a family being paid attention to instead of the actual family members. I see that with wider society, with Morphin too, right? You, we just see Morphin being, not being paid attention to again and again, in that he's innocent. And they get an easy confession out of him. They get an easy sort of like solve out of him. And nobody cares that he's not actually guilty. Nobody cares like, why would he be confessing to this so quickly? Why out of nowhere did he commit this crime? This Like he's lived across the valley from this family for at least 16 years. Why all this, right? Like nobody is looking deeper. Nobody is paying close attention. They're just like, oh, I can, I can solve this case and I can put it away. And I, he's a, bad man, but he is also very much, it appeared to me in this chapter, what a victim he is. Mm. There's something interesting about how he, both the first time when we meet him, right, when, oh gosh, who was the man from the ministry who comes to... Bob Ogden. Ogden! Oh, how could I forget old Bob? Um, <laughs> right, like, Bob doesn't even see him, because he's kind of sitting in the, in, the, in, the, in the tree and just jumps out, and here, when Riddle walks in, he, he's kind of blended into the grime and the grossness of, of the furniture. I mean, he clearly has not been taking care of himself. He's not being paying attention to cleanliness standards. But there's something, like, it's easy to not pay attention to him because he kind of fades into the background in some way, even physically. Yeah, and we tend to be grateful to those people in society, right, who we don't want to spend, pay attention to and who are, like, gracious enough to make themselves invisible to us, right? Like, that is uh, something in society that we're like, oh, good, right? Like, you can just blend into the filth in the background and we can ignore you, when those are often, obviously, the people who need the most love and attention. Um, and again, I mean, we've talked about this before, but I, it's just, like, really upsetting that, like, Bob Ogden didn't send in some sort of social services. When he saw what he saw, he saw absolute squalor and he saw abuse. And I think that because there wasn't that sort of institutional attention available, he ends up in prison, which I think is absolutely the way that that often works. You, I just, you brought it to my attention and I hadn't seen the way in which Merope had been described literally as trying to blend into the wall yes, in that yeah, chapter that's and right. the way that Morphin is described in those same terms in this chapter. Oh, I love that. Yes. I'm sorry to cut you off though. Is there anything else you want to say about like kind of that idea of making people into sim symbols? I mean, Dumb Dumbledore is doing it to Harry, right? I mean, we have, I don't know if he's making Harry into a symbol, but he is completely objectified Harry and right he's like I can't do this task I tried you try and there is he is not willing to talk to Harry about any of the things that Harry wants to talk about like there's very little chit chat there is like you are here I'm going to give you an assignment that I failed at goodbye yeah literally like good luck good night yep I know that Dumbledore cares about Harry but I think that there is a lack of attention to Harry in this just like assigning him and sending him off. I, I do wonder if there's something about, um, I mean, Dumbledore's in pain, yeah. right? Like there's a lot of, his hand looks worse than ever. I mean, he's running a global kind of fight against Voldemort, right? There's a lot going on. Because the, there's a lot of tension in this scene between Dumbledore and Harry. There isn't the niceties, right? Because Harry tries to sell the, the story about Draco again. There's something that's um, straining the whole relationship. And I, I mean, to me, I was like, this man is in, pain, which makes it just hard to pay attention to things beyond the necessary. Um, and that's what struck me about the whole conversation as well. I think that's a really lovely point and a really important one, right? Like we know that when you're stressed about money or hungry or tired or in pain, how that, that is the only thing that you can pay attention to, that attention to anything outside of yourself is a luxury and a privilege. And yeah, I, I do buy that. I mean, even... I was on the phone with my mom and we were talking about my dad's health stuff and she was with my nephew who is so cute but in the middle she was like do you want to hear him say like whatever I was like no I don't we're talking about things that matter and then like 30 seconds later I was like yes I do yes I do what let me hear him bark like the neighbor's dog yes I do want to hear that um right but when we're like thinking about bigger things stressful things it's like 
I don't have time for charming little dog barks. I do. I always have time. He can do different impressions of different dogs. He's a genius. <laughs> 17 months old. Brilliant. Nobel Prize. Nobel <laughs> I think so. Not to pull us away from attention, um, but I think we come back to this question again of like, what do you, understanding that Dumbledore has other things going on, how do you wish he had been in this interaction? What do you see as the right path for him in negotiating this with Harry? Why don't you trust Snape, Harry? This is why I think it is really important for you to trust Snape, right? Or um, why are you so focused on Draco? This is what I actually think you should be focused on. I just think some form of question asking, rather than this like passive aggressive Professor Snape Perry, yeah. like that, that is not instructive or informational. It's just, it's not behavior management. I just, I feel like there's too much subtlety. I mean, th- what I'm struck by is the parallel that we see between Harry and Riddle and Dumbledore, right? Because Dumbledore is so conscious that he made a choice to not inform the other professors about what he knew about Riddle when he came into Hogwarts um, because he wanted to give him a fair chance, which, you know, absolutely laudable and, and I think fair. But there's also some regret in there. But he's kind of making a similar choice about keeping these very strong barriers of information and that Dumbledore is the only one that knows both. And so I'm wondering why he kind of hasn't changed his approach because first time didn't work out so well, Abbas. We've got work to do. Spoiler. <laughs> Spoiler. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Tom Riddle grew up not great. <laughs> I mean, beyond the comparison to earlier Dumbledore, I think there's a strong parallel between Draco and Harry and Voldemort Dumbledore that, like, there is this sense of, like, blind loyalty. He's Dumbledore's man through and through. That was a touching moment. It was. I had a little... Uh, for the, Who did the reading? Let's see. Yeah, all the Ravenclaws are here. Excellent. Um, and... <laughs> But there's this lovely moment where, where Harry's saying, you know, Scrimger came to the, to the... Well, Dumbledore already knew this, of course, but they're talking about the visit of the minister and how he was trying to recruit Harry to act as a pawn in, in front of the press. And Harry says, uh, I'm Dumbledore's man through... No, 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 something like yes. that. Yes, I'm Dumbledore's man through and through. And then Dumbledore says, how rude. <laughs> and then Harry says, I told him he was right. And then, like, Dumbledore is just like... <clears throat> And Celine Dion starts singing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which one, though? It's all coming back it's to me. It's all coming back, yeah. yes. Literally, <laughs> Fox lets out a musical yes. chirp, so yes. <laughs> the synth machine in Phoenix shape, yeah. <laughs> Just the hair. He's got the hair. All he needs is the Canadian accent. <laughs> French Canadian. Double <laughs> Um... That's why him and Madame Maxime are so close. Yes! They can speak yes! French to each other. I'm with you. Yeah. Um, but what Ariana was insinuating was something much more insidious, which is that, that right, if, if, let's do it as an SAT question. Draco is to Voldemort as Harry is to Dumbledore would insinuate that there is, that this blind loyalty being yeah. someone's man through and through, yeah. when it is a child adult relationship. These are two men using children as weapons and that there is children being raised as armies to fight another generation's fight. Mm -hmm. And the differences between Voldemort and Dumbledore are of tactic, not of like means. Absolutely. And and it's not a small matter. I mean, we see in this chapter that the 16-year-old's kills three people. I mean, the young Riddle is, is murders three people in this chapter. So that weaponization is, is not something that's nothing. It's real. Yeah. Can we talk about the most important moment of attention in the whole chapter? Hermione and Ron. Yes. <laughs> so my favorite moment of the chapter is when Ron's like, hey, Hermione, how was your Christmas? And she's like, hi, Harry. And like, just not at all. And it just struck me, because we were reading the chapter through this theme, that ignoring someone is absolutely a form of attention, right? Like, first of all, it takes a lot of focus to just pretend someone isn't there when they are there. And she is so, she is like dead inside good at this. It is amazing. Yeah, I was just impressed by how, how good she was at that. 
Well, and it, I mean, it's it's like uh, you know when you have a difficult relationship, it, it takes up so much of your attention, even though you don't want it to. Um, yes. Yeah. I guess I also love this chapter because you get some quality Hermione Harry time. Yeah. Which I feel like we don't get enough of. They're such good friends. They finish each other's sentences. They are just like so excited to see each other. Oh, I have this thing for you. Oh, I have the password. Oh, let's do this together. Right? Like, I just love the two of them together as buddies. Are you saying that they don't have to slow down for Ron to keep up? No. No. I would never say that. No, it's just nice to see different dynamics. Yes. Like, yeah. I, my favorite friends dynamic is Phoebe and Chandler. I don't feel like we get enough of that on the show. Right? And that, my favorite... Could there be any less time for them? <laughs> I haven't actually watched Friends in forever. Yeah, I just feel like it's fun to see the two of them together and to see there's a new dynamic around yeah. um, yes. Hermione and Harry. Yes, and in part because... Harry is still trying to convince Hermione with this new information that, you know, Draco is totally working for Voldemort. That's why he's a Death Eater, because Fenrir Greybrack, blah, 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 all of that stuff. And Hermione is still not buying it, which, yeah. why won't she pay attention to his, to his pretty logical argument at this point? So Ariana and I were brainstorming. We were fighting about this earlier today. <laughs> and I think the conclusion that we came to is that they're, they are paying attention to this Draco situation. And I think, first of all, Hermione is noticing that Harry is paying a toxic kind of attention to the Draco situation, which is sending off antenna signals to her. And I think that her, like, spidey sense is, I have seen Harry make rash decisions based on incomplete information before, and it led to Sirius's death. And I think that even when we are just paying attention to something right in front of us, our past traumas and right we carry these things with us even if we're not aware that we are and I think we see that difference in Harry too he is trying to get more buy-in than he used to try to get and I think he's trying to prevent the same mistake that he made so I think that they are both paying attention to this in a different way than they would have without the ministry wow Oh, I love that, that they're both trying to, like, overcompensate for the other way because of that experience. Right, they're trying to pay attention in a new way. But I, I think it's really, I think the reason that Hermione's not taking him more seriously is because he's so obsessive. Mm-hmm. And that is a scary thing, right? You're like, no, this is, like, stop it. You are making really bad decisions, following him into corridors and into train cars, and, like, stop it. Yeah, it's kind of like the back to the symbol thing of... Hermione sees Harry just following Draco as a symbol rather than who he is or what he's doing, maybe even more accurately. Well, he has equated Draco and Voldemort. Exactly, exactly. And Hermione is like, that is not a one-to-one equation. Turns out. I mean, I think it's so interesting that so far we've been talking about attention as a positive thing, attention as a thing that you pay to your dog theologically. It's a thing that we need to do more. It's like, when, when are we ignoring people? And I do think what you're pointing to is that there is there is a kind of super attention that tips us over from theologically beautiful to obsessive and toxic. Right, stalkers are paying very close attention. Right, yeah. (laughs) Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, (laughs) anti-stalking. I'll say it, I'm brave. Casper, do you have a button to put, do you have one more small point? Well, I mean, it did strike me that Harry just, like, cannot help be the center of attention. This time, he was the first one to apparate, and so everyone's like, oh, my God, tell me about it. And it's not like he's like, oh, it was fine. He's like, it was the worst thing ever. (laughs) You know, like, there is something about him that keeps putting him at the center of the room. And so sometimes we're like, oh, poor Harry. uh." But now I'm like, listen, you you know, you bring it on yourself. Yeah. (laughs) He did apparate because Dumbledore, the headmaster, most powerful wizard in the world, came to pick him up from his house, right. which is because he's famous. Yeah. Privilege begets privilege. Yeah, right? Like, it's a cycle of fame begetting fame. I mean, let me tell you. So, I've had to travel a lot recently, so I have, like, a Delta Sky Lounge access. The food in there is free. <laughs> <laughs> Privilege begetting yes, privilege. That's, it's like Harry. You are of. like Harry. <laughs> Should we move on to our first spiritual practice? Yes. Let's. 
So Casper, it is time for our first spiritual practice, and tonight we will be doing Pardes. Um, yeah, the sexy practice. <laughs> so um, Pardes is a medieval, I don't know, they went woo, like, you know, like you did in middle school when someone turned off the lights and everyone went woo. Um, <laughs> So Pardes is a Jewish medieval spiritual practice. Um, It's a four-step practice, and Pardes means orchard. And the way that we like to think about it is that the text is an orchard and that we can reach in and we can pluck a sentence. This is them mocking me because I do that every time, and it'll be a juicy piece of fruit that we can just bite into. So Pardis is a medieval spiritual practice, um, and the first step is shot. But first we have to pick a sentence, and we need your help. Casper, what is the first page number in this chapter? 327 to 349. So my favorite Hufflepuff, please pick a number between... 327 and 349. 349. Bold choice. Oh, yes, I love, I love it. it. Okay. Four. Four. Okay. And now, do you know what? We're just going to stick with you because I really feel bad that I abandoned you. So now please pick a number one through four. Two. So our, our party sentence is? Good night, sir. Nice. Excellent job. Excellent job. Okay. So step one, uh, step one of Pardes is pshat, in which we ask ourselves the intended meaning of the sentence. I will do this. So Harry, uh, Dumbledore has dismissed um, Harry from his office, said, please leave, basically, and Harry has said, good night, sir. And that is the intended meaning of the sentence. Okay, so, so now we're ready for step two. Remez. And Remez is um, a way to find allegory. So the way that we do it is based on a rabbinical practice in which we're going to pick one word from the sentence and we're going to track it throughout the seven Harry Potter books. We are going to do that with the word. What? Can you read the sentence? Good night, sir. What word should we do? Sir. Sir. Okay, so where do we know the word sir? I, yeah, I, yeah. Um, uh, the witty retort to Snape. There's yeah. no need to call me sir. <laughs> Which is one of the best Harry moments ever. Harry doesn't call Snape sir, and Snape is like, sir. And Harry's like, you don't have to call me sir, professor. (laughs) So funny. Do you have one that has come to mind? I'm trying to think, are there any sirs that we meet, like any peers in the books? Sir Sir Cadogan! Yes, in the... Oh, yes. Sir Nicholas, nearly headless Nick. Sir Nicholas, the nearly headless Nick. So we're getting paintings, we're getting ghosts in the castle. So there's like this this spirits of the castle element. Yeah, and the sirs are sort of silly. So far, all the sirs are a little silly. Yeah. Okay. Creature, Creature. of course. Yes. I mean, all the house elves. Oh, that is so interesting, right? Because Dobby calls Harry sir very sincere. I think that we have... Sir, ironically, right. we have sir in like a traditional British, like ducal sense. We have sir. But those are also ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not just authority, certainly not with the painting and with the ghost. I mean, nearly headless Nick is kind of like a, a joke. Uh, and Sir Duggan keeps going like, you fools, you knaves. So th- there's, some, there's something ridiculous to them, which actually undermines the status that they do have by their position. Yeah, but there is also, there's, some sincerity sometimes with yeah. Sir, right? Like with Dobby with, and yeah. yeah, with Dobby. And I'm sure that Harry calls Dumbledore Sir sometimes, right? Well, right now. What? Yeah. Oh, but <laughs> Good night, sir. So step three of Pardes. <laughs> well, no, before we, before yeah. we do step yeah. three, yeah, let's yeah. connect. So what does it mean in this context, right? What yes. what are the echoes that we hear when he says good night, sir? And I think in some ways it's a beautiful um, illustration of the complexity of Harry's feelings. On the one hand, he feels, you know, drawn in and he respects Dumbledore and he's getting access um, to all of these, you know, uh, memories and, and he's clearly important to Dumbledore. But on the other hand, he's, he's really resentful of the ways in which he's not equal. And so I think there is a really interesting, I mean, even the fact that he says goodnight, sir, rather than just goodnight. I don't know, there's something reinforcing that separateness in just that little word for me, which is both manipulative and, and comical and respectful, um, but it's, it's clear that there's difference between the two of them. I think that's exactly right. I think that Harry, with this sir, manages 
to basically say, I am not leaving willingly. Like, good night, mm. sir, because you've excused me while still being polite. Right? That sir packs. Yeah, I mean, the line before it literally says, Harry got to his feet quickly. Yeah. Right? There, 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 there is an urgency to it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so step three of Pardes is drosh. And in drosh, the way that we do it, it means meaning. And the way um, that we talk about it is that if this was our piece of liturgy, if good night, sir, was the liturgy that we had to preach on this week, what lesson would we want to teach? And so the sentence, once again, Casper, right, is good night, sir. Good night, sir. Yes. Yeah. Maybe one more time. Good night, <laughs> sir. Yeah. So I will say, I think I would preach a sermon on who you choose to be, like, emotionally intimate with. Mm. I think I'm just getting this because one of my favorite movies is When Harry Met Sally. And in this great speech at the end, he says, you are the first person I want to talk to in the morning and the last person I want to say goodnight to at night. And this is, Harry, you know, Harry and Dumbledore are probably the last people they're going to talk to at night. And I think who you talk to last at night sort of matters, right, symbolically. And yeah, and so I think that maybe this is making me think that Dumbledore and Harry are probably quite close and closer than I give them credit for. But also just the, the daily rituals of loving each other, of saying good morning and good night to each other, I think are important in our sacred rituals. A hundred percent. And that's in this chapter, right? That moment that we talked about before of like, I'm Dumbledore's man through and through. That really, I mean, who else does Dumbledore have that kind of relationship with? Uh, I don't know. Um, so there's a lot of tenderness in there, which I, I totally agree. Um, a friend of mine just officiated a funeral for a former bishop in Chicago. Um, and he, he was saying, you know, so many people had come and um, he said it felt like I wasn't just burying a man, I was burying an era. And there's something in this moment of good night, sir. Of course, this is book six. This is the book, close your ears if you don't know, but Dumbledore dies. And so there's something, I don't know, it, it, at least it's evocative of what we know is coming. But in reestablishing that boundary of, of status, but also of age, Harry is already saying, like, I know there will be an end. And that it'll be you that's leaving in some way. Um, so, I don't know, there's just, I guess, something about um, knowing that we will bury the people we love, and especially if they're older than us, that they represent not just their own life, but a, t a time that we never got to see. Um, so that, that's something in there for me. It's beautiful. So the last step of Pardes is sowed. And sowed is the most mystical practice that we engage in. And the idea is that the text holds secrets for us. And um, by doing this work together of Pardes, we've made it a little bit easier for these secrets to reveal themselves to us. So Casper will read the sentence for us one more time. Ariana will play some beautiful music. And we will sit in silence together for just, you know, 30 seconds or so and see if a sowed emerges. Good night, sir. was actually very much inspired by the practice and what you said, Casper, that at the end of the day, even though Dumbledore and Harry are really frustrated with each other in this scene, I think at the end of the day, this was a good night because they spent it together. Um, and this is one of the last times that they're going to have a class together before they go out and, you know, hunt horcruxes in that horrible night together. And I just think, especially looking back for Harry, this must be a really fond memory of a night that he just got to like spend time with Dumbledore, a man who cared for him and one of the greatest wizards to ever live. And he just got to be with him. And so it's the secret that emerged to me is that even when we are frustrated with each other and even when we're driving each other crazy, mm. to be together with mm. people we love is a good night. Mm. Mm. That's beautiful. It's interesting that I, the sode must have been landing in the middle of us because I was thinking about good night as well, in part because night is this liminal space for Harry, right? The whole of the last book, his nights were invaded by Voldemort, um, right? That this nights were sites of Harry having visions, 
with the most dangerous man he knows. And here he is having night visits with visions, right, in the Pensieve with a man who both cares for him more than perhaps any other student and also knows that he's leading him to his death. Um, so that both of them, I don't know, there's something so difficult about, they're both leading him to his death. Um, and in, in the night is when they have those moments of connection. So there's something in that for me. Yeah, those are both so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Friends, we're so excited to welcome a dear friend, Yusra Ghazi. Welcome, Yusra. Come on up. Um, yes. Yusra uh, has worked on religious literacy training uh, and foreign policy in the State Department. She's helped build relationships between government agencies and religious minorities here in the US. And she's about to move to my hometown of London, which we're very excited about. Um, we've been trading tips for the great city of London. Um, but Yusra is an old uh, friend of ours, a former classmate at Harvard Divinity School, and is here to tell us a story about attention. Thank you. Hi, everybody. I almost severely damaged a police vehicle and threatened the life of the police officer who was driving it. Not great. I happened to, I was an undergrad, happened to get out of class, uh, living my best life, driving my car home. I had um, my windows up and the music on loud. It was The Clash. And I was really, really enjoying this drive. So I am a nerd and I follow all the rules. So I wasn't necessarily over the speed limit, but pushing it to its limit as I drove home and um, caught myself um, heading towards an intersection. The light was green. A bunch of idiots were on the right side of the street. I don't know why. It was a slower lane. So I basically hit the pedal to the metal and tried to get through as quickly as I could on my route home. And as I was doing this, and as I entered into the intersection, it was as if time froze. I caught myself inches away from a cop car that was zooming through from my right to my left, also in the very middle of this intersection. And I still remember the look of horror on the face of this police officer as she turned to see me careening towards her with the clash on blast. She probably didn't know it was the clash on blast. But she looked at me because I almost killed her. And that moment must have only lasted a few seconds, but I will never forget it. Because silly me, I hadn't picked up on all of these subtle hints to some others. It may have been more obvious, but cars had pulled over to the side of the road because they heard sirens. There was a little white light above the green traffic signal indicating that there was an emergency situation. And somehow I just missed all of it and almost hurt someone severely. I think about this moment often in my life now because of the work that I do at an organization called America Indivisible. We are a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization that works with communities across the United States to address the issue of racialized anti-Muslim bigotry. So the ways that communities who are Muslim or perceived to be Muslim are impacted by hate, discrimination, and other forms of um, negative, uh, negativity and bias. One of the things this calls me to do and calls us to do as an organization is to talk to communities of not Muslims, not Arabs, Sikhs, South Asians, or others that are impacted about what it means to be a civically engaged ally. So um, instead of waiting for a moment of conflict or crisis between those times of conflict, that folks are recognizing the other ways that anti-Muslim hate looks. So we talk to folks about recognizing if your mayor or city council member or governor hasn't uh, yet visited the local Gurdwara or the mosque. Maybe it's deliberate, maybe it's not. But those types of communities that policymakers do not pay attention to are the ones that we are trying to get them to engage with more effectively. So don't be like college Yusra and you know, drive at the status quo following the speed limit, not recognizing those subtle hints in the communities around you, in your own neighborhood, and recognize what seats 
at tables are not available to communities that are not represented? What associations exist where folks who come from underrepresented backgrounds don't have a seat at that table or do not have representation? And I encourage you all to be more attentive than I was a few years ago. Thanks, everyone. Amazing. Yusra, thank you so much. Thank you for the work that you do. Thank you, thank you for being with us this evening. We so appreciate it. All right. Friends, it is time for our second spiritual practice of this evening. And we're going to do Florilegia. So... For those of you who, who don't know Florilegia, this is a, a medieval Christian monastic practice and really came from monks who were uh, writing and copying um, usually uh, uh, the Psalms or other parts of, of sacred texts like the Bible. And now and then they would find one piece of text that was so shimmering that they was a little sparklet that they would put bless it you. on a... Uh, bless you indeed. Bless you indeed. The monks also bless you. Um, <laughs> that they would create a new text where they would take these little sparklets and put them together and in so doing kind of create a new sacred text and put these, put these pieces in conversation with one another. Um, Vanessa and I have both read this chapter and we have found our own sparklets. And um, Vanessa, will you share what yours is first of all and Ariana will put it on. We don't know what one another's is. This is the fun part. The ministry had arranged this one-off connection. Ooh. Thank you, Casper. None of you ood. <laughs> Mine is, they are too terrified. Very good. Very good. Why did you choose that snippet of text? Um, I picked this. I, it's funny how much it dovetails off of Yusra's story. The, the ministry, rather than arranging more and more connections, we've talked about these pamphlets. They're really trying to separate people and get people to be afraid of each other. And rather than structurally thinking about ways to make people more connected, they've arranged a one-off connection, which it really struck me that one-time connections aren't really connections, right? If we're not building community, if we're not going to support each other, if we're not going to be building sustaining relationships with each other, I'm just like not really interested in one-off connections. And it feels like the ministry is trading in that type of solution right now. And remind me, where in the text is it? It's in the very first paragraph. Okay. So it is um, talking about the flu network, how they uh, are getting from the Weasleys to into um, McGonagall's office. Yep. Okay, awesome. What awesome. about you, Casper? Why did you pick, where's yours from and what, why did you pick it? Yeah, so this is from Dumbledore explaining to Harry, I'm going to show you two memories this evening. The last one is the most important um, but the, essentially, for, for who knows how long, Dumbledore has been going out to try and collect data, evidence. And he said, most people who knew Tom Riddle as a young man, as a child, are too terrified to talk. They're too terrified to share what they know. And so there's this real, it, it, I don't know, there was just this like field of silence that I saw in that line um, of people who know things but are too terrified to, to say. So, beautiful. here we are. This is our text for this evening. The ministry had arranged this one-off connection. They are too terrified. I mean, it just reads, right? Like, the ministry is terrified of people being genuinely connected to each other. Because if we are genuinely connected to each other, then we are more powerful and can hold our ministries and governments to higher account. And, right, we are stronger together. And, therefore, structures are trying to keep us apart. Mm so that we can't challenge them. So the ministry had arranged this one-off connection. They're too terrified to actually just like let us be connected to one another. Mm, so the ministry is the one yeah, that's too terrified. Yeah, I would read the ministry mm. is too terrified. Mm. The ministry had arranged this one-off connection. They are too terrified. I, I mean, there's something about um, connection always involves risk. I mean, whether you're going to see a friend and you're like, oh, but really all I want to do is just stay at home, right? Like there's that little hump that you have to get over. And then once you're with the friend, you're like, this is awesome. <laughs> we both love hot chocolate. Yay. But to get there, you have to risk something. And there's something when you don't have that risk. I wonder if it's really connection. 
because I, I wonder if it becomes just symbolic, right? Like, if, if, I, if I have a transactional engagement with someone, I'm buying groceries, I'm going to the bank, I'm really just performing something that's already pre-written, and it's when it's a real connection where I have to risk something, I have to be vulnerable, I maybe have to, I don't know, I have to show up as me, not just the role that I'm performing, that there's, that there's, some, there's some terror in that. And so, uh, I don't know, I'm seeing in this line, uh, they're pointing to the risk within relationship. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, that's lovely. I think that that's very wise. I feel like we're really thinking about connection, which is the center of why Vanessa picked her quote. Um, and we've kind of dropped the idea of silence that you were really interested in when you picked your quote, Casper. And I'm wondering if putting these two together makes you think of anything about your original thought. Well, I mean, this makes me also think of just like the whole Me Too movement and the way in which, you know, the one-off connection is the lawyer meeting with the woman who's about to bring a case, right? There's something in which the arranging of the connection can actually be a way of silencing and creating that field of silence and creating that terror. Yeah, just in the ways in which um, everyone who knew Riddle knows that everyone else is still there. Right? It's not like everyone just went away. They all knew him, but they're all staying silent because they're terrified, because this man is a mass murderer. There's ways in which connection can keep us silent as well as help us to... Um, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's, there's, a, there's a... Especially one-off connections, right? Yes. Like we're talking about. Yeah. Like if all of those people who knew Riddle could talk to one another, then right. maybe they would have the strength right. to tell Dumbledore their stories. But because right. he's approaching them individually... It, it can't happen. That's really interesting. If Dumbledore had done some community organizing training, <laughs> he'd be like, we've just had a one-on-one and we've just had a one-on-one, but let's get together at a house party. Uh, another failed pedagogy at Hogwarts. <laughs> but it is so Dumbledore. Dumbledore is all about one-on-one connections and he never brings people together. The closest thing he gets to bringing people together is portraits and they're all super dead and two-dimensional. Well, yes. <laughs> So, like... Well, and, I mean, this is what's beautiful about the passing on of this, this I guess, the, the lineage from Dumbledore to Harry is that Harry keeps doing that differently from Dumbledore. I mean, the, the closest we see to that is, is Dumbledore recruiting Slughorn. But even in this chapter, he's trying to manipulate Slughorn. And Harry has learned by this point in the books that he can't do it alone and that he needs Hermione and that he needs Ron. And so there's, there's something... That's, I love that, Vanessa. Yes. Well, and now I'm reminded also of Ron and Hermione, right, where they have both agreed to a one-off connection with Harry and have cut each other out because they are too terrified of how much oh. they like each other, right? That I think we, we limit our connections because we're scared. Yeah. Yeah, it's, being alive is scary. <laughs> Should we read them the other way? Yeah, so now we get to play with our sacred text. We get to put them the other way around. So let's say we read it like this. They are too terrified. The ministry had arranged this one-off connection. They are too terrified. The ministry had arranged this one-off connection. So this way makes it seem as though, like, the students and family has requested it, right? Like, they're too terrified to go to Platform 9 and 3 quarters. They're too terrified to go back to Hogwarts. So we have arranged this. This makes it seem like the ministry is in much more of a caretaking role Mm -hmm. um, because it seems like the... Fear is starting it and that there is something happening. What do you think, Ariana? I definitely think that the they is no longer referring to the ministry. Right. right? They are too terrified, whoever they are. The ministry had arranged this one-off connection. Something that's standing out to me is the ministry is a kind of institution, right? Like, I think, for me reading it, they're terrified of the connection that the ministry has made for them, that it, like, because it's created by an institution that it be that that there is some some terror that emerges rather than like they are too terrified Vanessa had arranged this one-off connection I would feel like okay Vanessa's taking care of me in my terror but I think the terror is created out of the ministry Mm. 
There's all, I'm suddenly thinking about the rest of the magical world beyond witches and wizards, um, for whom so much is at stake, right? We've heard how giants are being played by Voldemort and by the Ministry, and, and that must be true for the goblins. And like, there's so many other creatures that are that are within this battlefield that's growing. And I'm just thinking how they too are terrified about a war that's happening that they don't really have a, a say in. And I mean, the, we know that the kind of supremacy that's physically embodied by this statue in the ministry is itself a sort of block, right? Maybe that, that forces these connections to be one-off or, or, or not trustworthy. Mm. Um, so I'm just seeing, again, uh, kind of what Yusra was talking about, that the lack of um, collegiate, co-creative relationships across difference based on equality that then can forge much stronger civic I also think, yeah. yeah, I think we've been pretty down on one-off connections, but I also think there's, like, a possible reading that says, like, a one-off connection is a chance. Yes. Well, and I think of things like Post Secret or a friend of mine who does subway therapy where he's, he makes a sign saying subway therapy and he sits on a subway platform in, like, a suit and tie and with sticky notes and pens and people can write whatever they want or sit down with him and have a conversation. And sometimes it's so much easier to talk to a stranger about something that is really hard. Um, and, you know, you don't know where that emboldened first time of telling a story can go. Yeah, and I mean, right, I, I have been really down on one-off connections, and sometimes a one-off connection can be like the difference between despair and hope, right? If you're in a dark place and you sort of meet a friendly stranger, you can be reminded that the world is a beautiful place. I, I, I do believe in the possibility of one-off connections. I just worry that um, we can rely on them too much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everybody. So we're we're coming to the end of our show. And as we always do with every episode of the podcast, we end by offering a blessing to someone. Ariana, do you have a blessing for someone in this chapter? Um, I'm going to bless Lavender Brown. Bold choice. Thank you. (laughs) Lavender comes on a little strong in this chapter. I feel like this is the chapter where Ron starts to become embarrassed of her. Um, he's like kind of running away from her and it's you know just gonna get more and more of that. And I just felt so bad for her. I feel bad for anyone who's in a relationship with someone who's embarrassed of them. And I think it's fairly normal in early relationships. I, I know that in my high school relationship, I dated someone because I just liked being liked, that there was like something about trying it out for the first time, and like, I think that's okay, but the thing about Lavender is that she's going to die at the end of book seven, and this is going to be her only relationship, and it's going to be with someone who never loved her for her, and who's embarrassed of her. (laughs) So I... (laughs) So I just, I, the blessing is that I hope that we all have people who love us for ourselves um, and who are not embarrassed of us. I think we all deserve that kind of love, including Lavender Brown. Mm, that's beautiful. Except also, you think her and Parvati have oh. a secret love affair. Number one ship. So. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe she does find another love. Yeah. It's just not in the pages of the text. Absolutely. Well, one of my favorite, uh, I have two great pieces of advice for marriage that I've heard, which I loved. One was make sure you don't want to get divorced from the other person at the same time, like that that's the secret to long marriage. But the other one was don't be afraid to be the one who loves more. Mm. And I feel like Lavender does that so beautifully. Mm, So thanks for helping us see that. Teamwork. Look at that. How about you, Vanessa? Who yeah. are you going to bless? I am going to bless Ginny because there is a moment in this chapter where I was like, oh, Ginny, I do that too. Um, Molly is crying as she's hugging Ginny goodbye, as she's hugging each of them goodbye. And Ginny is just doing such a bad job taking care of Molly in this moment. And I have lived away from my mother for more than half of my life now. And my mom cries when she drops me off at the airport every time. I, I know. She loves me very much. It's very sweet. She's also listening. Like, hi, Mom. And I don't know when I started doing this, but when we hug goodbye, I always snap her bra to, like, get a laugh out of her. Um, so I just, I just want to offer a blessing to 
children who are loved by their parents, and we love them back really imperfectly. Um, and I think Ginny loves Molly so much and is just imperfectly loving her right now. So that is my blessing. What about you, Casper? Mm. Um, I'm going to bless a slightly obscure character from this chapter. We learn that the um, that, that Tom Riddle's father and his grandparents are discovered by a maid, that she sees their dead bodies, that she's the one to, to call the alarm. And I was uh, just in the, the history of African-American, or the Museum of African-American History, and there's this very striking a room where the original casket of Emmett Till is on display. Um, the 14-year-old boy uh, who was, you know, horrifically killed, um, which was a really important moment for a public awakening. And in part, it was that because his mother, who could not even recognize his face, so disfigured and horrifically beaten was it, that she did not let him be buried in Mississippi, but took the, the casket to Chicago and had it be an open casket funeral that she wanted the world to see. And so, I mean, I just can't imagine as a parent to, to first of all, have to go through that, but then to ugh, just to have that uh, courage and vision and, and intense ferocity about what is right to, to be able to keep looking at this dead person's face. And the maid in this book just has a momentary taste of that but no one no one should have to discover that so a blessing for anyone who has to to gaze on on you know the dead body of their child especially when it's been so horrifically mutilated thank you and that is our show thank you so much for joining us we are going to do a meet and greet up here after go downstairs and get a t-shirt or a new pin feel free to stay behind and chat with us next week we are back in the studio for chapter 18 birthday surprises through the theme of recklessness our music as always is by nick bull and ivan paisal our production team is chelsea urson julia argy nikki zoltan megan kelly maggie needham and stephanie Purcell. Thanks this week, especially to Yusra Ghazi, our special guest, the staff here at Sixth and I, Jordan, Shar, Trevor, David, Sasha, our volunteers, Megan Quinn, Lindsay Nelson, Mallory Wood, Kara Hoffman, and most importantly, all of you for coming. I'm Casper Kyle. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Ariana Nettleman. And you've been watching Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, the live show! Thank you!